know in that all about 200 rock fans are at a rock show. Thank you for joining us for another Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. This time we reach out to another gigabit community, Clarksville, Tennessee. CDE Lightband joined the growing list of municipal networks to offer one gig service this spring, and it's even taken on a residential one gig user. Chris talks to Christy Batts, Broadband Division Manager, who provided info about benefits to the community and challenges the network faced along the way. This community, filled with military personnel and college students, faces some unique circumstances that influence the network and the utility. Here's Chris visiting with Christy Batts from CDE Lightband. Welcome to another episode of Community Broadband Bits. Today we're talking with Christy Batts, the Broadband Division Manager at the Clarksville Department of Electricity in Tennessee. We're going to be dealing with folks in the uh, central uh, time zone of Tennessee as opposed to an eastern time zone. And in the past, we've talked with folks from Chattanooga, from Bristol, and from uh, Morriston. So uh, welcome to the show, Christy. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm I'm excited to talk to you too. Um the service is called Lightband and um I just poking around a little bit I saw that you had a referendum all the way back in 2006. You've had to deal with uh, Charter and AT&T in your community for um for a long time. And the thing that I was just really excited about was learning that you were the one of the first networks to do symmetrical services. Right out of the gate you started with uh, 10 megabit symmetrical. And I just wanted to commend you for that because uh, I think that doing symmetrical services is one of the best parts of these networks. So uh, so thank you for that. And then the last thing I wanted to make sure people knew is that you're a gigabit community. And I'm sure we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the interview. But to start, um, I'd like to know a little bit more about Clarksville. Um, tell us uh, more about it, how it's unique. Clarksville is on, in, to give kind of everyone a, a geographical reference, we're in the northern part of the state, right on the Tennessee-Kentucky border, um, just north of Nashville. We are the fifth largest um, city in the state and one of the fastest um, growing counties in the nation. We're home to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. It's Kentucky because the post office sits on the Kentucky side of the border. But 85% of the land mass and about 85% of the personnel assigned to Fort Campbell live and reside on the Tennessee side within our community. We're also home to Austin Peay State University, and um, it's a about a 10,000 um, student liberal arts university, state college here. And uh, so it gives us an interesting dynamic in the community when you look at a relatively young population, very tech savvy with the university students, and the military personnel, but it also gives you a market that has a great deal of churn built into it as well because you're kind of constant influx of new people coming in, but also a, um, a large number of people moving out of the community on a given, any given time frame. For, the, for those listeners who aren't quite familiar with the term churn, I think um, you know the main problem with with uh, a high churn rate is that the cost of going out and connecting and disconnecting is is pretty high. And I, an ideal situation for a telecommunications network is you have a whole lot of people that buy homes and stay there for 20 years and take services the whole time, right? <laughs> That's correct. That's correct. Um, unfortunately, that's not something that we're we're accustomed to dealing with. And and as we are part of the municipal power company as well, it was something that the organization was used to dealing with on the electric side. 
And that kind of lends into why we built the network in the first place. The reason we actually originally entered into the, the power side of the business, entered into building this um, fiber network was with that constant influx and outflux of people in the market, it makes it a lot easier for you if you have a connection of fiber to the home that you can remotely connect and disconnect the services. Therefore, you're not rolling trucks out to, to disconnect someone or reconnect the next um, tenant moving into the home. So that was a huge piece for us, plus also being able to remotely read those meters um, dramatically cuts down on the cost of, of managing the services for the electric delivery of the services and the billing costs and the, and, and the things that associate it with that. Right, because I'm guessing, I mean, ordinarily you read a meter once a month, but if you have people moving out in the middle of the month or the end, you know, I mean, the beginning, it's just you, you want to get those, you don't have to send people out on specific missions to read the meters. Correct. I mean, for example, in an apartment, you've got that those folks moving in and out. You could feasibly read that same meter at least three times. One for the normal billing, one with the, the tenant moving out, and then again when the new tenant comes in so that he, they know when their billing, the previous tenant's billing stopped and the other one started, and it's, it can be very expensive. Right. So you've, uh, you've been around for a long time, um, and, and I think you've had uh, slightly more growing pains than the average utility, uh, in part because of these trends, I'm sure. But can you tell us a little bit about some of the, the difficulties that uh, the utilities faced and overcome? Sure. Um, you know, it's kind of an interesting thing. You, you have applauded us initially for building an, an active Ethernet system, which allows us to be fully symmetrical. That means there's a there's a fiber to every premise um, that we provide services to, whether to just do the, the, the meter interface or to provide the broadband services. It's an expensive proposition, but it is also one that gives you the best flexibility as the network grows and you're able to grow to meet the consumer demands and not have to completely overhaul the system at some point. But it also provides a lot of challenges because at the time that we built that type of network, there were very few companies that we could partner with that had the type of technology to, to blend into the network. So we had some challenges. We had some missteps with some of the, the choices we made um, initially in how we were going to manage the system, how we were going to deliver the services when we went into the broadband business. And it really hindered our um, growth a great deal in that um, when we first launched our broadband services, which was in January of 2008, at that time, um, we really went out with a service that was a really, really strong Internet product. As you mentioned, 10 megabits symmetrical. At that point in 2008, no one was doing that. So we had a really good, um, strong broadband service, but our, our video service um, at the time was not originally developed to handle HD products. Um, had a very limited channel lineup. We had lots of issues with our middleware, um, our set-tops, all of those challenges that um, can really hinder the growth of a product. Um, so the first probably 18 months of our, of our existence, we were really truly almost just an Internet provider. Um, we went in and kind of retooled everything on the video side. We're able to um, find a partner that would work with us on the phone um, provider side so that we could be a retailer for a wholesale phone company and we're able to begin to build a, a true triple play um, service. But like I said, the first 18 months, we didn't have all of those pieces parts into place and it really took a complete retooling of the system um, to get us there. 
Right. And I think you had you had two things going against you. You had a, a change in the technology, right? But then you also had your size. And while there were some others that were doing this sort of thing, none of them were anywhere near as big as you. Um, you know, Lafayette um, is similar in size. And the two of you, I think, were sort of going back and forth as the largest uh, municipal fiber networks in the nation until uh, Chattanooga came online several years later and, and took the, the thunder away from both of you. <laughs> yes. They did. Well, and, and, you know, in context, um, the electric division is the 51st largest municipal public power provider in the nation, and we're the second largest power provider in the Middle Tennessee area next to Nashville. So size-wise, we actually had um, a great deal of, of um, challenges there as well in that um, we, were, we were big in some respects, but also not quite big enough. Um, say, for example, as a Chattanooga, um, to get the um, emphasis we may need from other providers and partners to really come in and help us build through this system and, and get it get past some of these challenges. Right, and uh, the it's, it's it's frustrating. I'm sure that you've you've been able to work out solutions that every other network that comes after you benefits from, but uh, no one's ever going to cut you a check to help you out for those months that you had to learn those lessons. <laughs> No, 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 they're not. But you know what? It was it was a challenge that that the the team that came in to kind of do the cleanup uh, part of it, myself and and some others in in the group that all worked um, together in it, and some really brilliant engineering um, staff that I have um, really worked very hard and closely together. And today, it's something we can take a look back at what we accomplished in the short time, relatively when you think about it. Um, Overall, that um, the things that we've accomplished, we can look back that, at that and be really, really proud because of the way we've been able to make it, this system work and turn it around. And so, what what we can say then is that you, the network was launched. You had a number of initial problems. Um, you had a significant management change, and uh, now you're on target to uh, to meet all your obligations and pay down your debt. Is that is that a fair assessment? That is a, a, a very fair assessment. Yes, we're, we actually continue to grow um, exponentially each year, have done um, tremendous on our growth numbers. Um, we've been um, uh, cash, um, cash flow neutral for several months and now we're getting into the stages of being cash flow positive where we can begin to pay down our debt. Right, because as I understand it, you've been paying the interest on your debt. Um, the network has not been subsidized. You've just been having to push out the break-even point further down the road. Correct, and and by not being subsidized, subsidized because so everyone understands we're part of the municipal power company, each entity has to operate separately. Each entity has to stay on, stand on its own. We can borrow money from the electric division, but we have to pay it back and thus pay interest on it as well. And then any services that we share, accounting services, payroll services, um, human resources, all of those things that organizations have to have that we don't actually engage in ourselves, but we share part of that staffing with the electric division, we have to pay those back in cost allocations and in dollars back to the electric division. And we've been providing about $4.2 million back to the electric division for the last two years. Right, and that's uh, pretty scrupulously accounted for from TVA, from what I understand. They take this very seriously. They do take it very seriously, and it is very scrupulously <laughs> accounted for, and, and it actually sometimes becomes almost, you know, the point where we, we say, oh, can you actually use that? Well, no, can you use that? It's kind of, it's kind of fun to kind of interact with accounting sometimes 
over just how detailed it can be. So I want to I want to turn the conversation a little bit to some of the benefits that we're seeing from the network. Uh, as you just noted, the uh, electric uh, ratepayers see a benefit because some of the shared infrastructure that they would need anyway now, some of those costs are allocated to the telecom. Um, I saw a recent announcement that you have a um, a local weather channel that uh, that most other communities don't have, and uh, I just found that to be interesting. It's probably one of the lesser benefits, but uh, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. It's interesting. In in some communities, I don't know about all, but it, it's particularly in this community and in a lot of other communities I've worked in, local weather information is probably one of the single most important things for people. Um, it, it's really strange that they get so focused on it's got to be local. I want to see what's happening right here in my backyard. And so we've been able to work with a company to develop um, a local um, weather channel specifically for ourselves. And that's... I, Think going to be a huge benefit for the community. It's just one of those really, really nice things to do that helps continue to put the stamp on what we're able to deliver as part of this benefit of building this network. Okay, and can you tell us about some of the other benefits? Um, uh, I, I just uh, we're always interested in uh, in how. Um, you know, you you build the network for specific reasons, and sometimes you have benefits you don't expect, and sometimes you have the ones you do expect. So, uh, why don't you uh, share some of the the benefits you've seen from the network? On the electric side, one of the the key benefits we've seen, obviously, we've talked about the the cost savings related to having this uh, meter interface through the fiber, is that um, on average, we're about 60% of our customers are fully connected with fiber or with a wireless radio read. Um, meter, and we're continuing to, to build on that um, each month. But it, even at 60%, we're seeing on average about $45,000 a month in savings and cost to in, interact with those meters by using it um, through the by delivering that service through the fiber. So that's huge for the electric ratepayer as well. That helps keep that cost down for those folks um, that even don't even for the ratepayers that maybe not, don't even choose to to use the broadband services. On the broadband side of the business, we've done a lot of interesting um, things that we've been able to um, to partner with. We're we're the primary um, source for internet services um, and 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 point-to-point connections and bandwidth for the city of Clarksville. So our city um, government offices are all connected via our fiber, and so they've been able to develop some real um, benefits, interdepartmental benefits. Um, that have been huge for them has been a real cost savings for the for the city as well. We just recently um, rolled out um, our first city park in a partnership with the Parks and Recreation Department to provide our first city park with wireless connectivity, which is great in a in a community that has a, a huge student population. How nice is it to go on a great day when it's really sunny and and go to a park that's probably maybe four four or five blocks from the university sit down and be able to do some studying and some work in a wireless environment. It's always wonderful. I mean, I think there's an there's an expectation now that you're going to have connectivity anywhere. And while you can use your mobile phone out in those areas, boy, you go through those data plans pretty quickly. So having the free Wi-Fi, which is going to be faster, and it's just it's terrific. Um, I, now, I also understand that there's some um, crime cameras that are being that are using the fiber. Yes. Um, we have some of the parks have have cameras in there. They've been been proven to be a nice deterrent, um, a subtle but effective deterrent to some crimes in some of our parks that we were seeing. Nothing, you know, nothing major, but you know, maybe some vandalism. 
um, and some, you know, tampering of vehicles that are parked there and that sort of thing. But, you know, um, nice to be able to have that and, and have that posted so that folks understand that if they do do something in a park that they shouldn't be doing, it, it may very well be captured um, mm -hmm. on camera. And you, earlier when you were saying about the benefits to the um, local government, I'm, I'm curious, uh, how are the schools doing? We've done a few projects with the schools. Um, we, we're not their sole provider, and one of our challenges in this market, uh, probably that some of the other communities don't face, is that we are um, only allowed, based on Tennessee state law, to operate within our service territory. And of the, the I think it's 32 schools in the school system, there are several of those schools, I think it's up to 10 now, that sit outside of our service territory. So they have to use a multitude of different providers. Okay. Um, but we have been able to develop some projects with some local entities in conjunction with the school systems. For example, one of the local banks actually has a um, class that they teach within the schools, in the high schools, about money management and managing your checking account and, and doing those sort of things. And they are able to connect back to their main branches through our fiber and, and get a better service for that educational experience. Since we are, um, like I said, locked with um, the city only being able to operate within our service territory, we do, City of Clarksville is also the only city in um, the county seat of Montgomery County. We also have the same great relationship with the county as being their point-to-point -point provider and their um, internet service provider so that they have um, connectivity within their buildings within this, the city. So their 911 center, our, our, our um, police department, sheriff's department, the jail, um, the court systems are all connected and they're able to transmit data and information via the same network and point-to-point -point services that we're able to provide for them. So that saves that, the county as well a great deal of money. Another benefit is you're one of 10 communities somewhere around there that has gigabit to every citizen um, in the community and to any business that wants it. Uh, you've made the price um, far more uh, affordable than it is in just about any other city in the United States. Uh, have you seen any, any resulting changes from that? We're still relatively new in the game on that. Um, we've had some successes with our residential side and had some customers that have subscribed to the gigabit services on the residential side. Again, back to a university town and a military town. And, and the one gentleman that I interacted with in particular, I, you know, I, I said, you know, just curious, but a gigabit of service is pretty significant for, for a resident. And, and I was kind of curious, was he going to be running a home-based business out of it? You know, that sort of thing. And he said, yeah, he said he, he was military. He had served multiple tours in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when he was um, stateside, um, he really spent a lot of time gaming. It was kind of his downtime. <laughs> and he wanted to be the A1, number one premier gamer right. in his cluster of folks. And so, you know, more power to him, great. We're, you know, that's one of the, the interesting things that, that has come out of this, that I've learned a lot more about what gaming's about. Um, on the, on the commercial side, we've had made some significant inroads. We've not gotten that gig commercial customer yet just yet because it it's, it's a bit of a jump. Um, but we do have um, services at um, not just the 10 meg any longer, the 20, um, 30, 50, and 100 meg. And we've got some, some um, customers um, on the commercial side that are enjoying those levels of services, um, architectural firms that are using them to transmit um, 
um, their design work. Um, we also have, you know, um, one, one intriguing little scenario is one of our larger churches in the community um, does about four services um, each Sunday, and they do a podcast of those four services every Sunday. It's all different types of services, one more traditional, one a little more contemporary, and they use our 50 meg internet to, to be able to upload that information um, to their website and make it available to the shut-ins and the others um, that are outside of the community that can't come in to attend the services. I've heard, I mean, I've, I've certainly heard some talking about that, but I hadn't heard of churches specifically doing it, not, especially to that level of um, of having four in one day. That's impressive. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a pretty impressive church and what they're able to turn around in a Sunday. I, I do want to ask you one other piece about your background. I saw that, that you had experience working for Charter, and then you were at the uh, Chamber of Commerce before coming over. And And I'm curious if you have any advice for people who, um, are in a community where the Chamber of Commerce is very skeptical about a city-owned network. Um, we've seen that in many places. And so I'm, I'm just curious if you could share a little bit with your experience while being at the Chamber and then any advice you might have for people that are part of a different Chamber that views things differently. It's an interesting approach that we've, we've taken with our Chamber. And it probably benefits that I know um, where the Chamber of Commerce leadership comes from in a lot of cases. You've got a lot of business people that make up the volunteer leaderships of most chambers, the board of directors and the committee chairs and those sort of things. And when you get business people together and you start talking about a government entity or a municipal entity getting involved in what is a traditionally competitive business, it makes those folks a little bit nervous. Right. Um, and so it's kind of a it's kind of an interesting um, dynamic that you have to deal with. We've got a really really progressive chamber and a really uh, progressive economic development group here, and they have to walk a fine line because obviously our competitors are members of their chamber of commerce and contributors to their their um, programs and campaigns, and so they've got to walk a fine line in where they show their support. But at the end of the day, the message that's the key most important thing for communities to remember is that any type of growth in the community, any type of competition in the community, whether it's driven from a municipal or another um, private provider coming into the community, it's always good for the community because it gives the citizens a, a choice. It provides additional resources into the community. Um, so instead of, I mean, it's a core basic level, instead of having three um, internet service providers in the community, maybe there's four, and that fourth one can come to the table with other offerings that can benefit the, the local businesses and the like. So co competition at any given point is the core basis of what's important for economic growth and development in, in the communities. The other piece of that too is to deliver the message to the economic development side and to the chamber um, leadership side that as a municipal provider, um, we're going to keep the regulations are often so strict that we are actually competing at sometimes a disadvantage um, than, the, than the business side, but we're also a local entity that has a stronger stake in the community. Um, we are providing jobs within the community. Our call centers are, you know, all locally staffed. Our installation staff and our field personnel, all local folks, and those are all ta tax dollars right back into the community mm -hmm. and jobs for the community. So that's the kind of message that you have to deliver back to them so that they understand. While, yes, um, the competitors are out there and they're hiring some local people, um, a lot of times those dollars that they, they profit from 
don't stay within the community. Our dollars will stay within the community, back into infrastructure for the system and improvements into the system um, and, um, and, and in tax dollars in, into the system as well. Well, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, it's really great to learn about what's happening in Clarksville. Um, Tennessee is just an, an exciting place to be right now with uh, uh, more gigabit cities than any other state. Thank you so much for coming on the show and, and sharing with us uh, your experiences in Clarksville. Great. Thank you so much for having me. For more about CDE Lightband, visit ClarksvilleDE.com. We also provide more resources on the network at muninetworks.org. Our coverage goes back to 2009. Please send us your questions and comments. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Our handle on Twitter is at CommunityNets. This show was released on June 18, 2013. Thank you to the group Eat at Joe's for their self-titled song, licensed using Creative Commons. Thanks for listening. Eat at Joe's.